It's like if you put a, a bungee cord around somebody and say, start talking. It unhooked this bungee cord and I can do it. So. You ever had a week like that? Well, let me just let y'all empathize. It's nothing major. So here, here's the deal. You've got a lot of our kids and adults at Winterfest. We have a lot of people on Trace Dias. We have a lot of people uh, that took the hour to enjoy bedspread ministry to themselves. <laughs> nothing in the sound stuff's worked right. It's raining. The dog didn't come to me this morning. And I got to preach. And I'm holding the mic and, and instead of talking. So... It's going to be all right, yeah. I think sometimes our battle in life is not to get everything near perfect, but to get everything near Jesus, just to be his. Uh, what does the Bible say? In season and out of season. And this morning feels out of season. But I got preach in me, and I got the word in me, so I'm coming. If we, we, we coming with it. So, <laughs> Turn in your Bibles this morning to 1 John chapter 3. And stand with me for the reading of God's Word. First John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, just verses 1 and 2. Fourth and Lord willing, final installment in our series on us being sons of God. Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God? How about this? Behold, what manner of love hath the Father bestowed upon us that someone like you and me could ever be called the sons of God and be called that accurately? Therefore, the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, not hoping towards, not striving towards, not believing for, We operate from our sonship, not toward our sonship. I am. It's not yet revealed what I shall be, but I know when he comes, I'll be like him, for I'll see him as he is. The identity of sonship is the pivot, the foundation from which everything else flows. Your prayer life. They said, Lord, teach us to pray. And he said, pray this way, my father, our father, always pray from relationship. The idea, the reality, and the expression of being bone of God's bone and flesh of God's flesh. Behold, what manner of love is that, that we should be called the sons of God? And it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Beloved, now we're the sons of God. John 1, 12 through 14. But as many as received him, to them gave he the power, the right, the authority, the privilege to be called the sons of, sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. Your salvation was not a reaction to who your parents were, your desire or someone's desire for you. Your salvation, you were born again. The idea of it, the power of it came from God and God alone. And the word was made flesh and, we, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, glory of the only begotten of God, full of grace and full of truth. By God's grace this morning, I want to preach to you on the subject, uh, and because you are sons. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I just present myself to you this morning. Uh, Personality types like mine, when nothing goes well, it seems to distract and it seems to uh, make me feel uneasy. But I don't care what I look like today, O Lord. I care that your word comes forth with anointing and power and clarity. May it, like water finding the lowest point, find its way into our heart. And may it birth illumination, revelation, and power, O God. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Let us say with a a surety, Lord, because it's true. Let us leave saying, today I heard from God for my life. And I thank you for it, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. In the last few lessons, I've got to get rid of my little mic tail here. In the last few Sundays, we've discussed these points, and I'm just going to read them to you and continue in our message. 
And because you are sons, you have the DNA of your father, number one. You have, the same way you have the physical DNA of your earthly father here, you have the DNA of your heavenly father above. Well, I don't believe that. The Bible says it, that you are bone of God's bone and flesh of God's flesh. Your earthly birth passed on the genetics of your earthly family. And in the spiritual realm, when you were born again, not by your will, you didn't choose God. He chose you. You have the DNA of your father and everything's supposed to flow from that. That's what separates Christians from those who go to church. Some are turning their life around, making changes, and the others express life that was given to them by God. In him we live, move, and have our being. Number two, your life should be one of constant transformation. You can't house the spirit of God. The same spirit that brooded over the face of the deep in Genesis 1 and brought order out of chaos. You can't have the transformational spirit of God who's been commissioned to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ without being constantly under transformation. You ever feel like just hanging a sign around your neck that says, pardon my progress? You got sheetrock dust everywhere and a roof sagging in and a door frame kicked out. The Christian life is not supposed to be neat. It's supposed to be constructive. And what we abhor is we don't like the idea of deconstruction of what we've built so God can do construction of what he wants. And the deconstruction process is messy, but it's necessary. Number three, the world will not recognize or receive you. One of the signs of the Laodicean church age that we are living in is that the world has no problem with the church. Now, we're not supposed to be mean or weird or cruel, but if they called the master of the house, Beelzebub, if they called the Christ, the Lord of the flies, they shouldn't like us. Jesus said, because they do not recognize me, they won't recognize you as who you are. And the only way to walk hand in hand with the world is to go the same direction it's going. And so we are to stand out, a royal priesthood, a peculiar people who've been chosen to show forth the praises of God. Number four, you have access to a spirit-filled, spirit-led, and spirit-empowered life. Be not unwise concerning the will of the Lord for your life. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And then last week, and if you miss this message, please, I encourage you to either get a DVD or watch it online. You can expect and you will receive discipline from the Lord. The Bible says, despise not the chastening of the Lord. It's the evidence of your sonship. It's the proof that you belong. Because if there was not, were not discipline, which means, and it wasn't like what we do today, time out. It, God says, every son that he receiveth, he scourgeth. And the Greek word for that is flog. Like they flogged the Christ with a cat of nine tails. When necessary, the Lord will whip you to bring about a discipline. And no discipline seemeth joyful in the moment. Can I get a witness on that? None of it seems good then, but it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. Okay, number six. And because you are sons, you are an heir of God. You are an heir of God. Galatians 4, 7 says this. Wherefore, you are no more a servant only, but a son. And if a son, then you are an heir of God through Christ. What does that mean? It means that all that he is, regardless of all that I'm not, I have access to it. My children have access at intervals to every bit of my substance to meet their needs. In the earthly realm, I can only meet their needs based upon my supply, so I'm limited. But your father's not limited. And you are an heir, which means there'll be enough growing up. But in the end, I leave all that I am and all that I have to my children. See, that doesn't make you arrogant and doesn't push you into name it, claim it. It humbles you. So
So if the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, and I'm his heir, in the end, secondarily, what in the world is not mine? It's not like you go and make God, I'm your son, you have to do this for me. It's an awareness that I don't have to worry about resources. It's not a matter of having the biggest house because God owns the earth. It's not about getting the biggest car or the nicest job. It is that you are free from any form of worry because your father owns everything. Don't have to worry. It's not what am I driving, it's that my Lord provides for me. Everything is the Lord provides. It's never about the thing. Anytime you hear a Christian or a pastor talking about the thing, that's not the point. It's the thing behind it. So whether I'm rich or poor, in the penthouse or the poorhouse, I don't have to worry because my father's eyes are upon me and his ears are open to my cry. And if he did not spare his own son up, but delivered him up for me freely, shall he not with him freely give me everything I need? No worries. No worries. I'm an heir. Had somebody ask me not too long ago. They heard my last name. Mom, I don't know if I told you this. And they said, uh, so y- y- your last name's Wood. Do you know any woods in South Georgia? I said, how far south? N- near Florida line? I said, uh, do they got any money? And she said, well, yes. I said, no, I ain't related to them. <laughs> That's what I, I ain't related to them. Anybody else, when you are in college, you had some trust fund brothers or sisters in the Greek uh, world or had some friends that had trust fund that they could draw on? I was ama- never heard of that in my life. I had a boy named Stan that was in our fraternity, and he had like 2000 a month for his discretion. I like do who do who do what? We weren't poor. We were po. We couldn't even afford the R to go on the end of it. We just po. Didn't have nothing. And I said, so your room and board's paid? Yeah. Your car's paid for? Yeah. Your gas is paid for. Your insurance is paid for. Your food is paid for. Your meal ticket's paid for. And you got discretion. Discretion. What money? That means if something comes up. I hated him. Now listen, some people, that ruins them. And other people, being an heir of someone like that, elevates them past the first 50 steps so that they can catapult into greatness and purpose. He was seeing what he could spend. Another fraternity brother of mine was seeing who he could become. It's not a matter of accumulating. It's that I'm in the lineage of God. What can't I do for him? Who can't I be? What kind of influence can't I have? You're an heir by virtue of your identification with Christ. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Jesus. If so be that we suffer with him, we will also be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory that shall be revealed in us. Not only am I an heir, I'm an heir because I'm joint heirs with Jesus. He and I have been blended. You and Christ have been blended. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You are in him. He is in you. Picture a boiling pot of water on your stove and you put the real big big family size gallon, uh, makes a gallon tea bag in that hot water. You don't see anything at first, but after about the fourth dip, fifth dip, a little bit of brown comes out and then if you don't have enough water, it looks like motor oil. Okay, So you take your tea bag, which you burnt your hand because the vapors come up and you didn't think to use the tongs. So you threw it away, run your hand under the cold water, go back and you look at the tea Now, separate the tea from the water or separate the water from the tea. It is still water and it is still tea, but it's now something different. We're tea. You can't separate me from God. And I am an heir not because of performance. I am an heir because of identification. I identify with Christ. He's in me. I'm with him. 
when I come before the Lord, you know, when we say pray in Jesus' name, that doesn't mean you tack on Jesus' name to your want list. I want this, I want this, I want this, I want this. And if you don't do the third one by Tuesday, forget it. I want it in Jesus' name. That's not praying in Jesus' name. Praying in Jesus' names means you pray as in Him. So when I come before the Lord, I am clothed with Christ. Put ye on the Lord Jesus. And I am heard not because of my goodness. And see, this is where, where some of us were carnal in our... And by carnal, I mean immature, not fully developed. We pray better on the good day. Okay? We preach better on the good day. No. I am heard not because I have done well, but because I am in Christ. I am recognized as an heir, a joint heir with Jesus. And I'm heard because he hears him. Didn't Jesus pray, Father, I thank you that you hear me, and I know that you hear me always. Well, if he hears Christ, and Christ is praying through me by his Spirit, then I am heard. Where does confidence in prayer come? Not from feelings. I didn't feel heard today. I feel like the Lord's a million miles away. Are you in Christ? Yes. Is there any rebellion? Have you separated yourself from him? No then regardless of your feelings, you have unhindered access to the ear of God when you pray. Because that's what heirs do. See, I like your children. I'll greet them, hey, kiss them on the head, pat them, good, good. Even the ones that levitate, I say hey to all of them. I, hey, how you doing? Good to see you, Damien. All right, good to see you all. Good to see you. Good to see you. <laughs> good to see you. But mine, do they ask? They come in our house. They know that any, now, they're so young, they can't have ice cream for breakfast, you know. But it's theirs. An heir understands that I don't have to, this is so good. I don't have to scurry. I don't have to manipulate. I don't have to maneuver. I don't have to get to the front of the line because I'm an heir of God. That's why Abraham can tell Lot when the land wouldn't support all the livestock and the cattle, Abram says, you pick first. Well, wait a minute. The Lord's brought you this prosperity. You're, you're a steward. You're supposed to hold on. He says, uh, no, no. It doesn't matter what he picks. So Lot saw the land of Zoar, the, the land Sodom and Gomorrah and the land of Zoar. He saw it and he said, and it looked like the Garden of Eden. And Lot says, I'll take that. Abram's no problem. You take left, I'll take right. You take south, I'll take north. Not a problem. And as soon as Lot picked Sodom, the Bible said he chose for himself the well-watered fields of Sodom. And he turned and pitched his tent towards Sodom. The Lord immediately spoke to Abraham and said, lift up your eyes. Everything you see is yours. That's what he told him. You walk left, it's yours. You walk right, it's yours. Now, don't let these hyper-charismatic, weirdo Pentecostal preachers on television. And by the way, I am Pentecostal to my toes. That's all I am. But don't listen to this. You walk the land and claim it. And what they're talking about is owning everything and building silos so you can be rich. Not the point. The point is I don't have to build a silo because my father can distribute anything from his silo at any time for me. I'm free. I'm free. I'm free. And you're a preserved heir. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. And you are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. To an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. I hear the preachers all the time. I want my heaven now. I have my possessions now. Yes, we're taken care of. But my inheritance is not distributed now because the scripture clearly states that the the gist, the major weight of all that God has for you is reserved in heaven for you. The release of it. Now, 
We partake now. We're partakers of the divine nature. We're partakers of the divine provision. We're partakers of the perseverance. We partake in healing, but we're aging. Oh, don't look. You are aging. Gravity ain't never lost a battle. Just trust me. Gravity. Yeah, it reveals. So I partake of healing. Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead and he died again. Blind Bartimaeus received his sight and if he lived long enough, he held the prescription out like this and he, baby, just hold that bottle and back up a little bit. Yeah, that's it. That's the one I'm looking for. Y'all, some of y'all have crossed over like me, your spouse. We don't sit together, we sit across so they can hold the menu for you. you Yeah, buddy, that's clear there. So see, I'm partaking of healing, but I'm dying. I'm partaking of blessing, but I lack. My spirit groans. Nature groans, anticipating the revelation of the sons of God when they come not just in partaking of healing, but they walk into wholeness. And they shall never, the Bible said, never be sick again. Ever. Ever. My inheritance isn't here. I want my pie now. I want my pie now. God will give it to you. To the leanness of your soul. Do you remember the story of the prodigal? When the prodigal uh, son left his father, the, the, the dividing attitude and statement was, give me the portion that falleth to me. God, give me what's mine now in this earth. See, that reveals the heart. Well, I'm his son. He owes me. He promised. And we list the promises of God as if we could just take God's arm, twist it, and make him do what we want. And he doesn't, he doesn't give it to us because... We wanted it. He gives it to us so that we can learn a lesson. I want to separate from you. I want my stuff now. And the father divided his living unto them. And he immediately left his father. God knows if he gives us every desire of our heart, we'll forget him. So he gave it to him. The prodigal left. You remember? He wasted his substance with riotous living. There became a famine in the land. He found himself in a hog pen. And he was hungering after the husk that the swine were eating in the middle of the, the excrement and, the, and the, the puddles of horrible groceries. He was hungry for that. And he came to himself and said, I, even at home, my father's servants have bread enough to spare. I will arise and go back and tell my father, I'm not worthy to be called your son. Please just take me back as a servant. And when he got home, the older brother saw the father's reaction. He ran and hugged him and kissed him and called for the band. And he said, kill the fatted calf. My son who was lost is now found. The one that was dead is now alive. And the party began. But the older brother didn't partake. It made him so angry. So picture this. His father is dancing. But the son wouldn't partake because the party wasn't about him. Now listen to me. When you can't celebrate with other Christians and other churches and other ministries, we're not celebrating because the party is about us. We're celebrating because we hear the Father's music and we we know what makes Him happy. And that boy said, I'm not coming, and I can prove it to you. He said, when did you ever do this for me? When did you ever kill the fatted calf for me? Here I am working and serving and I teach children's church and I work in the nursery. I watch kids Jesus wouldn't watch. I've done all this. Ain't no party for me. And you know what the father told him? I remember when I saw this in the word, it just jumped out at me. He said, all that I have is yours. When you lose sight of who you are, you worry about what other people get. Must be nice. You don't know who you are, do you? If they get, if they jump in front of me ten times and take, I'm an heir. (laughs) I'm a joint heir with Jesus. And nothing eternal can be lost. Because in heaven, I, I, I say this, 
so humbly because every blessing I've ever received in this world is undeserved and the ones that await me that are going to stagger me for eternity are undeserved. But the Bible said, it is waiting in heaven for me. Incorruptible, undefiled, fadeth not away. That's why we are supposed to live with an eternal perspective. We don't want to spend what we have here. We want to invest it and send it ahead of us so it can be waiting on us. That was good. Number seven. And because you are sons, you should express the image of your father. First Peter 2, if you're taking notes, just write that down. Let me read it to you. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a dedicated nation, God's own purchased special people. That, why did he do that? That you may set forth the wonderful deeds and display the virtues and the perfections of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you're God's people. Once you were unpitied, but now you are pitied and have received mercies. So I implore you as aliens and strangers and exiles in this world to abstain from sensual urges that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves properly, honorably, righteously among the Gentiles so that although they slander you as evildoers, they may, by witnessing how you live, glorify God in the day of inspection when God shall look upon you as a shepherd looks over his flock. Not only are we ambassadors, we're sons. So the son is an ambassador. Not every son is an ambassador. I mean, not every ambassador is a son, but every son is an ambassador. So I represent the Lord. I represent him here, but I represent him not just in the hierarchy of government, but as his son. Men in this church, I want to appeal to you. When you see your boy grow up into manhood... There's a part of you that longs for him selfishly to reflect the good in you. You'd say things like, I raised you better. You you represent the name. You represent our name. So we who are children, sons and daughters of God and ambassadors, we have been purposed by God to reflect, to express the nature of God in this world. You should express holiness and righteousness and love, faithfulness and mercy and compassion, kindness, long-suffering, patience, power, peace, not, by, not intentionally, but naturally. You ought to be like Him. We're not God. And our kids aren't us, but they can have our eyes. They can have, you know... If you got ugly feet and your baby got ugly feet, and I'm sorry, your, your granddaddy gave us that. I had it. He, he passed it on. Thank you, Haley, for that. <laughs> there, there's, there should be something in us, a nature, disposition, that reflects these traits. To the, and because you're sons, you're all of God that the world can see. We're not perfect, but we have perfect traits in us. You should express his image naturally. You should express his image clearly and accurately. That's why rarely is it taught in churches to to live right. You can't live like hell on the weekend and come to church on Sunday and say, well, God's good with it. It sends mixed signals to the world. They don't know who the Lord is. They don't know who God is. We're we're supposed to, and who is sufficient for this? It's It's a difficult thing. It's, it's a, a, a denial of self to live this way. But we are telling the world who God is. And God's not a fornicator. God's not an adulterer. And God's not a homosexual. And God's not a covetous person. And God's not a liar. And God's not a wrathful person. We are to teach the world who God is through our words and our works. Our words and our works. We're a reflection. When I preach, don't you understand? That's what I'm doing. I'm turning the diamond to where the light can catch it and you can see Jesus better, better. But if all I do is talk and you don't see me love my wife and love my children and love you, then I'm just a clangling cymbal or a a trumpet that gives an uncertain sound. We're supposed to represent him in this world. Our kindness speaks of his kindness. Our mercy speaks of his mercy. 
It's not about living right so God can smile. It's about communicating to the world who the Lord is. You should express His image freely and unashamedly. You should express His image willingly and joyfully. All right, I'm going to hit on this just a minute. Strap in turbulent weather just ahead here. Carnal Christians, and by that I mean worldly Christians, they talk all the time about how free I am in the sense of I can do what I want, live like I want, uh, all things are lawful. Uh, They might not be expedient, but all things are lawful. And uh, there's a happiness because there's no pain. (laughs) Because pain is self-denial. I want, and you tell yourself, no. And then the battle starts. Flesh warring against the spirit, spirit warring against the flesh. So we who try to live a fundamentalist life of honoring God and living for God through the power of God, we look at them doing everything they want to do, and you're just mad at them because they seemingly get away with a life without the cross. Take up your your own cross and follow after me. They don't have that self-crucifixion. But now from their viewpoint, they don't want to be miserable like you. So if all I do is self-denial and self-denial and self-denial and self-denial and you don't do nothing, I don't go to the movie theater, I don't go, I don't, uh, I'm against makeup, long pants, eyeglasses, walking sticks, roll-on deodorant, outdoor floodlights, it's all unnatural. Don't, God delivered me from chewing gum in 82, and I just want to thank him for that. And you're looking at him, and you're going, you are miserable. So what's the balance? The balance is a crucified life that bleeds joy. I may not have the pleasures of the flesh that you have, but I have a joy unspeakable and full of glory that you've never tasted. Though my outer man is perishing, my inner man is being renewed day by day. And heaven's another week closer. And Jesus is another week closer. And I'm ready. And I reckon that the sufferings of this present world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in me. That glory will not be yours. It will be for those who have followed him in the crucified life. God doesn't want me just to do without. He wants me to do it joyfully. I don't believe that. That's the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. Let me tell you about Christ. On his way to the crucifixion, he knew what was going to happen. He agonized so much in the Garden of Gethsemane that his blood vessels burst under his skin and poured through the pores of his body. He said, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, if there's any other way, uh, let this pass. Any other way. And there wasn't another way. But then it says... So he was aware fully what was going to happen. He was going to be beaten so badly that his friends could not recognize him. He would be publicly humiliated by being stripped naked in front of all the town. He would be wrapped around a pole, legs and arms tied together, and they would whip him till his back dripped like a faucet. And the ribbons of flesh hung off his back. And the Bible said that he said, For the joy that was set before me, I endured the cross. What? You can suffer unspeakable pain with joy when you understand who you are and where you're going. I reckon that you alienating me, labeling me, persecuting me, maligning me, calling me a bigot, calling me, uh, you know, irrelevant. All, of, all the things that, and, and you think it's here now, just wait if Jesus tarries. More and more and more and the pressure's going to be on. And just by speaking God's words. See, and other Christians think, well, I'm fine with the world, no problem. Speak his words and see. That's why he said, if you're ashamed of me or my words, I'll be ashamed of you when I come. The, the sufferings now... I don't want to just live disciplined. I want to live disciplined with joy. Knowing what's coming. Knowing that one day I'm going to stand before him and 
He's going to know. In a moment, I'll see it all. It's like my whole life will be in front of me. For me, John, for you, Lord. And he'll say this to me and you. Well done, good and faithful. Notice he didn't use gifted. Notice he didn't talk about a bishop or a pastor or a prophet or an evangelist or a teacher because those people won't be in heaven. Wait now, what do you mean? No, the position. You know positions in heaven? You think I'm going to be a shepherd when the great shepherd of our souls in heaven? I was a pastor. I don't need no pastor. Good and faithful make it. Good and faithful are recognized. Offices don't make it into heaven. People do. Faithful. Faithful. You should express his image in every season and in every situation. Number eight. And because you are sons, God has specific designs, intentions, and expectations for your life. Jeremiah 1, 4 through 10 says this. Then the word of the Lord came into me saying, Before I formed you in the belly, I knew you. And before you came forth out of the womb, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet unto the nations. Then said I, Lord God, I can't speak. I'm a child. The Lord said, Say not I'm a child, for you'll go to all that I send you. And whatsoever I command you, that shall you speak. Do not be afraid of people or their faces, for I'm with you to deliver you, says the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth. And the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, pull down, destroy, to throw down, to build, and to plant. These plans, general and specific, were purposed and in place before there was a you. He said, Before I formed you in the belly of your mother, I knew you. And I'd already purposed you to be a prophet among the nations. Guys, just stick with me about 10 minutes and we'll be done. I I really want you to grasp this. I don't want to hurry. There are general expectations of righteousness, the fruit of the Spirit, uh, mercy, kindness. But there are specific things God has designed for you to do and be. And you do not find them. They find you. Nowhere in the scripture is there the precedent of pursuing the will of God. It reveals itself to you through what makes you laugh, what makes you cry, what pulls at your heart. The sweet spot, the tuning fork when you do something. I I, I was talking to someone the other day and they said, you know, I don't teach, I can't preach, I can't sing at all. And they said, but when when I help people, I feel alive. I just... Pastor John, I just go to their house and I hear one of them's baby was sick and I just drop food off. Pastor John, I feel, I feel, and I said, like you're in his perfect will. Yes. And the reason we do not enjoy our Christianity is we're trying to be what we think other people want us to be instead of being who God called us to be. He didn't choose to be a prophet. God chose him to be a prophet. I didn't choose to be a preacher. He chose me to be a preacher. And I like it. It fits. That's when you know who you are, you will not let man abuse you, misuse you. Like this microphone. I could use it as a hammer. You got a little nail. Y'all know how it is. You can't find your hammer. Take your socket set. I did this other day and beat the nail and messed up the socket set. Well, it'll work, but it's not what it was designed for. If I used it as a socket set, it would go on indefinitely. As a matter of fact, they're so confident in the craftsmanship, they said guaranteed for life. God designed you where you would never wear out when you were in his purpose. Never. That's why I plan on being that old guy in the church. If Jesus tarries, sitting on the front row, Pastor Emeritus, I don't know what that means, but it sounds good. So who's that? He started the church. I was smiling at everybody. You think I'm being funny, but I don't plan on being that minister that's 80 or 90 with that distant look and scowl on his face. Because I'm going to be who he called me to be. And I'm going to do that because I'm his son. And I bring him the most glory when when I see 
and fulfill his plans for my life. Ben, if you'd come, please. The capacity to fulfill these plans that God has for you are already in you. Or he makes them available to you. Do you, say, do you see he said, before I formed you in the belly, I knew you and I ordained you. And then he touched his mouth. So he's already put deposits in you in eternity. Before you were ever formed, he'd already purposed. And he put deposits in you in your birth. That's another reason abortion is such a crime. We have killed a plan of God. A plan of God. And then along the way, he does special things to empower you, to equip you, to, to show he's with you. And he touched his mouth and said, I've given you power over the nations. He hadn't prophesied one time yet. And God said, I've already given you power over the nations. How will I do this, John? How will I run a home for unwed mothers? How will I, how will I be able to help the poor in Uganda? How will, I, how will I be able to do this? God will supply it. He's already put the things in you and he'll provide the things to you to fulfill his will. If it's his will, it's his responsibility. See, you think that sounds arrogant. This is his church. 22 years, I've never had a fund, capital fund drive. Not one. No thermometer on the stage. No significant contribution dinners where you invite all the wealthy people to a steak dinner and you tell them about the vision and you pray over them and say, thank the Lord, we had a two million in pledges. No, you manipulated them. You made them feel important. You scratched the itch of their flesh and being recognized and known. You got money in reply for, and man was all there was in it. But I've learned, I'm not saying every capital fund drive is that. I'm just saying I've learned that if the finger of God points somewhere, the hand of God is right there to provide. It's attached to the same hand. These plans come with supernatural support, supernatural supply, and supernatural aid. These plans are the gateways to your highest yield for God's glory. I could do anything for the Lord, but the highest yield is in preaching and teaching. That's the highest yield. And these plans include, but are not limited to the following. God wants you to live surrendered. God wants you to live committed, to live focused, to live disciplined and determined in fulfilling these plans. To live genuinely, authentic, without pride. To live unashamed and vocal. To walk in divine knowledge and wisdom. To live fearless, expectant, and intimately. He expects you to be an ambassador representing him in the earth. He wants you to and expects you to endure pruning so that you can produce much fruit. And he expects you to persevere until your life's work is done. All that God wants you to do, he has already deposited in you the desire, open the door and promises supply along the way. You just have to work. My work is up to me. My success is up to God. So I can go to bed at night not saying, how's it going to happen? How's it going to happen? The Lord is doing something very special for our church. He's doing something very beautiful. And you know, your pastor's kind of hung in wanting to tell you several things that are they're just around the corner. But when they transpire, It'll never be the same. Because I've learned that when God opens a door and you step through it, you look like the smartest person that's ever lived. And people will brag on you and look. You say, no, 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 no. I, I walk through. But God opens doors. He closes doors at the end of chapters and he opens doors at the beginning of them. So we don't worry or fret about what, how, where. How many people are here? How many people aren't here? What does it look like? What's the budget look like? The question for your life is not, is, are you in his will? Are you in his will? Did you know God catapults Christians? We see A plus B equals C. C minus B equals A. We're logical, linear. We do this. God says, forget all that. 
He put it in the book of Acts for you. Mama Sheila and I have talked about this. She brought it out. She said, I just love this story. I just love this story. So Philip is on the Ethiopian road or with an Ethiopian on the road, witnessing him, baptizing him. And he's on his way walking home. I forgot what it was. I think it was 20, 21 miles. And then in between steps, he was in the city. It's in Acts. Oh, I don't believe that. That's not in the ancient manuscripts. It happened. Why would God, this is going to mess with some of you so bad. Can't help it. Messed with me. Why would God put in teleportation? So he's walking in Macon and the next step he's in Griffin. Because when I want you to be there, I'll pick up the piece of your life and move you there. I'll provide for you there. Just let me lead. Watch this. Oh, I don't believe that. I know. That's why you live discouraged and frustrated and you're depending upon your maneuverings. That's not a good way to live. Izzy and Olivia and Elisha, don't come in my room at night and say, are we going to have food tomorrow? Are we going to have food tomorrow? I guess little children, if they know their father and mother, they just leave that to them. And unless you become like little children, you won't even see the kingdom of God. God's going to provide for you. Final thought. And because you're sons, there will be a judgment seat. Not for sin. Your sin... The handwriting of ordinances was nailed to the cross. Your sin is paid for. But we'll answer for sins, unconfessed, and or uh, opportunities that we didn't fulfill and obligations we did not meet and responsibilities, but also for reward. Brother Wood, we're not going to be judged. Yeah, at the Bema Seat of Christ, you will be. For your deeds done in your body, for your words, for the things you'll be judged for your potential. And that's why the reason God will wipe away the tears from our eyes is if he didn't, there will be many people in that day that would have eternal regret. But you're in the day and hour now where you can can honor the Lord anytime you choose, in any way, at any time. And every cup of cold water given in his name He said, I'm going to reward it. I'm going to reward it. At the great white throne judgment where the wicked dead are judged, all it is is one judgment of sin and what they did with Christ, the sin nature. But at the Bema seat of Christ, there's a rainbow behind the throne which reminds us of God's mercy. I'm not sitting in this seat to sentence you. I'm sitting in this seat to send you forward with great reward reward every cup of cold water reward more reward than the works exponential that's why some will be known in the kingdom as great in the kingdom and others will be known as least in the kingdom and I'm not trying to end on a downer I want to motivate you to change direction if you're born again we're all sons But not every son is an honorable son. Some are dishonorable. Not every son is an effective son. Some are ineffective. Not every son is a faithful son. Some are unfaithful. And not every son brings glory to his father. And because you're sons, you get to pick what kind of son you'll be today and what kind of son you'll be tomorrow we love all our children the same but not all of our children bring us the same level of joy will you be one when the father sees you coming to stand before him he smiles come on buddy you choose and it is my prayer that this series has brought you out of the ambiguity 
of doing things and staying busy. Just be. Be a son. Be a daughter. Represent him. Serve him. Uh, communicate him. Worship him. Love him. Be in, in him we live, move, have our being. And let your tea bag be so immersed in the boiling waters of trial and testing that your friends can't see where Jesus starts and you stop. They can't tell. Would you stand with me this morning? Would you just stand reverently in front of the Lord this morning? And if it's your desire, don't think the thought. I want you to say it loud enough for you to hear yourself say it. Lord, show me what it means to be your boy or your girl. Show me, Lord. Open my eyes that I can see how much you love me and how much I move you with my affections and my love. Show me, O Lord, the deposits you've made in me. Open my eyes to the opportunities all around me. Teach me to set my affections on things above and not this world. Lord, I want to be an honorable son, a faithful son, a dependable son, one that brings you joy, one that brings you joy. Open my eyes, God, that I might see. Church family, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and let us run our race. Run now. Run fast. Run purposed. And don't stop till you get to the finish line. We may not look like much when we get there. <laughs> we may be scratched up, skint knees, one shoe done flipped the sole off. But we're going to get there. May it be said of you, I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Have a wonderful week in the Lord's presence. God bless you.